God, thank you. We can trust you. And so I pray that as we take time to look at your word today, that we would find hope, encouragement, that we'd find freedom from fear. God, I ask that you would remind us that as the, uh, uh, just like the leaves on the trees may fall, as the flower could fade and as the grass may wither away, uh, Lord, unlike those things, your word stands eternal, never fading, and always true. So Lord, we look to it today to find our hope and to, to find more about you and what you think of us. So God, may those things encourage our hearts today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, uh, hey, we uh, finally pulled it off. We're doing one of these outside. Um, we'll see. Sorry about the glare. Uh, when the sun comes out behind the clouds, it, you may get blinded. So I'm sorry about that. Uh, and, you know, we are outside. I could get attacked by a wild animal. And while it certainly could mess up the message, we could make some money. We could send it to America's Funniest Videos. So you pray how you feel like you should pray about that. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so take your Bibles. Go to Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43 is where we're going to spend some time together this morning. Um, and we're just going to kind of walk through, um, hopefully, some encouragement. I think as this drags on, one of the things that uh, your leadership team, your pastors, your elders have uh, kind of come into contact with as they've spoken with you is just we're, we're watching the needle on the uh, the anxiety meter um, just slowly start to go up and accelerate. And so for today and, and for the next couple of weeks, I just want to encourage us. I want to spend some time driving down into where we have hope, why we have hope, and, and why uh, we can rest in who God is and what he's done for us. And so uh, that's the that's the plan. That's the hope for today. And, and in Isaiah 43 is where we're going to find ourselves doing that today. Um, just by means of context, Isaiah 42, the chapter that comes just before it, the prophet Isaiah is speaking um, about his servant. He's talking about this one who's going to come, who's going to do this new thing. And it's, his desire is that uh, his na- the nations surrounding his people would see a light from his people that, that would cause them to crave um, God himself, that, that would cause them to understand who God is, to seek after who God is, and to, to wash in his glory. And so God's spoken about that in Isaiah 42. My, my desire is that you folks would be a light, that you guys would be the ones who are speaking about these things. And then really you get to the end of chapter 42 and you can hear the exasperation in the voice of God saying, you people, I mean, this is what I want from you, but you guys are driving me crazy. <laughs> and it gets even more significant than that. I don't want to make too much light of that because he makes a comment. You know, listen, you're not blind. You're not deaf, but, but you've become blind to what I'm doing. You've become deaf to what I'm saying. Uh, chapter 42, verse 20, it says, though seeing many things, you're paying no attention. Though your ears are open, you are not listening and God says, because of those things, I am going to pour out my anger. In fact, the last verse of chapter 42 says he's going to pour out his furious anger. Because these people aren't listening. They aren't paying attention. They're willfully blind. They're not paying attention. Here comes the, the full wrath of God is deserved on his people. He's going to pour out his furious wrath. Look at chapter 43, verse 1. It starts like this. But now. But now. I mean, if you were to read all of chapter 42, get to the end of that chapter, hear the anger in God's voice, hear the promise of his wrath to be poured out, and then you read verse 1, it is a complete switch of what happens. It's a complete turn. It's this this beautiful conjunction, but now it's almost breathtaking. They're, they're such welcome words. 
Now, now between the last verse of chapter 42 and the first verse of chapter 43, nothing's changed in the way the people are reacting. But what is happening in verse 1 is we are getting a signal of the grace of God. The entire discussion in that moment just gets flipped up on its head. And we go from chapter 42, the necessary and fair judgment of God on sin, to chapter 43, the unnecessary and even scandalous grace of God being offered to his people. Now, before we move on, i got to make a couple things really clear. I don't want anybody assuming anything or reading into what I'm saying. So there, there's two things that I want to make sure that I'm, I'm being very clear about. The, the, the context of Isaiah 43 is very different than our current context today. I am in no way, shape, or form making the claim that what our current difficulty is, is a judgment from God. I am, I am not saying that. But I am saying that there is absolutely no reason we shouldn't learn the same lessons the people of God here in Isaiah got to learn. Folks, we, we can't waste this time. We can't waste COVID-19. We can't waste our 2020. Instead, what you and I need to be doing is, is pouring into the same hope-filled reminders that God and His Spirit is, are bringing to the Israelites in Isaiah chapter 43. Now, their context is a context um, of judgment. Our context is a context of living in a world that is still violently broken by sin. So, so please understand that I am not saying that this is God's wrath, God's judgment on us because somebody sinned somewhere. Uh, but I am saying we, we have many lessons that we can learn from that. Secondly, the hope-filled reminders that we're going to be talking about out of Isaiah 43 today are for his people and for his children. Now today, that, that's not a nationality. It's not an ethnicity. It's certainly not a denomination. Uh, it's not a morality level that you attain. Um, but today, those, those who are his are his because they've been made pure by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're the ones who, as we're going to see here in Isaiah chapter 43, can live beyond fear and not get choked by the fear that's there. So what Isaiah 43 does is, is it moves us past the, the things we have to be fearful of, and instead it anchors us in on God's activity and God's character. Let, look at, now, let's look at verse 1 more than just the first two words. <laughs> um, or we're going to be here a while if I, I keep up at this pace. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1, it says this, Now this is what the Lord says, The one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. You are mine. Listen to the to the call of God into the lives of his people. You are mine. He says, I have created you. I have formed you. God has a special claim on us because he's our creator. He says, I redeemed you. I mean, he's, he's the one that bought them out of literal slavery. And through us, um, he's bought us out of spiritual slavery. But then we, we always anchor on this last part. And I think appropriately so, especially for this moment, I have called you by name. I have called you by name. Think, think about that. Think of the most powerful person, most important person, most famous person you could possibly imagine, the one that you would actually want to hang out with, okay? There's a lot of powerful, important, uh, uh, famous people that you would never want to hang out with. But think about the one, the one who you'd love to spend time with you, 
the, the, the one that you would love to, to sit at their feet and just listen for a little while. So, so now imagine going to one of their events. There's this huge crowd of people and you are in that crowd of people. And in the middle of this delivery, whatever it is, a speech, a song, a concert, whatever it is, in the middle of that moment, everything stops and he looks out in the crowd and he says, Frank, Frank Taylor, where are you? Where are you, man? I, I... Now imagine this for a second. The God of all creation, magnificent in majesty and in power, the, 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 the never-changing one, the all-consuming one, the omniscient, omnipotent God, looks out from heaven and says, Frank, Frank Taylor, you. See, he's called you by name. And then, he gives you a nickname. And I don't know about you and your relationships. Maybe you have certain nicknames that kind of stick with you. I've had a few uh, throughout my life. Thankfully, many of them have dropped by the wayside. I'm grateful for that. But, but, but here, God doesn't just call me by name, Frank, but he gives me a nickname, and it's the most beautiful nickname. It's the most wonderful nickname. It's a perfect nickname. It's the one that I would want from God as he refers to me. He looks at me, he calls me Frank, and he says, Mine. Mine. So as, as God looks at you, calls you by name, and calls you his, that alone should be enough to settle your spirit a little bit in these days. To know that the, the God who created you, the God who redeemed you, is the God who calls you His. Now, this is one of those moments where on Sunday morning, if we were at the building, I would step to the side of the pulpit and be like, okay, this is free. Um, this isn't free. <laughs> You'll pay for it. No, this isn't. Um, this, this does not have to do with the, the message here. But, but I think we, we, we really do need to park for just a moment to understand the order of events. If you understand the order of events here, it's going to be really important. And actually, not only does it bring you great hope, but it also reveals exactly where your heart is. So, so the order of events really flows out of this question. What, what comes first? Not the chicken or the egg, okay? Um, what, what comes first? Is it God's offer of redemption or is it your repentance? Is it God's offer of redemption or is it, is it your repentance? I, I think for many of us, um, we answer that question and it reveals some of the fear we have in our hearts, even through this current situation. Because what we do is we, we look at the, the order of events as I repented, so then God offered me his redemption. And, and if that's you, then I'm going to tell you this. You follow a religion, and that religion is going to make you miserable. There's no other way to say it, just, just miserable. Think, think about it this way. So, so it's saying, I, I repented. So I have given up. I gave up smoking. I gave up cussing. I gave up drinking too much. I gave up dancing, which you should all be thankful. I've given up dancing. Um, I've given up doing drugs. I've given up watching porn. I've given up all these things. So now I have, I've earned the redemption that God is going to give to me. I'm going to earn his favor. I'm going to earn his forgiveness. And so I've given all of these things up. So now I have earned what he is offering. And so, so I've earned it. <laughs> Until that day, I, I haven't. Until that day, I lose my battle to porn. Until that day that I begin to cuss like a sailor because I hit my thumb with a hammer. Until that day, the, the addiction gets its claws back into me. 
And then what falls over us is terror. It's fear. Because I was relying on the fact that I had earned all of this. I had earned his offer of redemption by being willing to turn my back on these things. And when I fall back into those things, now, now I don't deserve it anymore. Now, now I don't deserve it anymore. Now, now this is a problem. But, but you have to understand, this passage tells us it's not like that. These people were willfully deaf and blind, and they were fully deserving of God's anger and wrath. Those are the people who should be living in absolute terror of his, his coming judgment. But then you get to verse 1, and he says, but now, when? when when's now? <laughs> is, is it after we've repented? Is it when we get good? Now. But now, when God has offered his grace, when he offers his redemption, then that can lead to our repentance. The, the offer of God's redemption was laid in front of me when Jesus came and willingly took my place on the cross. And he did that not after I had repented, not after I had proven my good intentions. He did that while I was still sinning. It's Romans 5.8. And his kindness, his love, his mercy, his grace has led me to repentance. It's a response to the to the offer of his redemption. Then beyond that, I live a life that is marked by ongoing repentance because I still live a life in this flesh and I still sin, but, but I have his name. I have been called his own and he is dumping his grace on me and he's offering his grace to me and it's that sweet. So I am willing and love to repent and run back and drink fully uh, of his fountain of grace. And I'm going to tell you that offer of redemption that, that offer of rescue, that, that offer of forgiveness, that, that offer of God's grace is fully available to you today. And if, if you have been trying to earn your way to heaven, if you've been trying to, to earn God's favor in your life, but man, let me tell you this, it, it's, it's not about earning any of those things. Instead, it's drinking from the fountain of grace as God offers his grace to you in spite of who you are. It's admitting that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior. That offer is, is there. It's there for the taking. And when you accept that offer, when you accept that offer, then you are His. And I'm going to use a phrase here that's used in the New Testament. His love is made perfect. His love is made complete because, because love has been offered and now love has been accepted. And when love has been made perfect, it casts out all fear. 1 John 4.18, love Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And if God has offered his redemption to you and you have freely accepted of his offer, then the idea of punishment is gone. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment for those who are in Jesus Christ. So the real source of fear is no longer here. Love has been made perfect. And that, that would be enough. I could stop right there and looking at the clock, I probably should. So I'm going to have to move right through these next couple of verses. Um, but, but, but he doesn't just remove the fear, remove the punishment that's not going to happen. And, and boom, that, that, that's it. Instead, he, he does even more. We get even more because we are his. Look at verse 2. Uh, chapter 43, verse 2. Let me just kind of run through the next couple of verses and, and make some comments about them. He says, I will be with you when you pass through the waters. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. 
You'll not be scorched when you walk through the fire. The flame will not burn you. What, what he's saying is, not, not only are you mine, but I'm going to be with you as you go through those different storms. Please understand, nowhere in Scripture does it say that as his son, as his daughter, as his child, that things are going to be easy for you in this world. Now, in, in these verses, he says, when you walk through the waters, when you walk through the fire, not, not, not if. You're going to. <laughs> There's going to be storms in your life. There's going to be seasons of difficulty. You're going to walk through those things. You're going to walk through the fire and pass through the rivers, but and, and things aren't always going to go well for you. But the beauty is this. The God who redeemed us, the God who called us by our name, the God to whom we belong, He'll be with us and He'll bring us through. It's kind of like a, a dad at a playground with a, a munchkin who's just all over the, the jungle gym, on the swings, all over the place. And that, that good daddy at the playground is watching. And he is willfully and intentionally and purposefully watching. So that way that little child, although he feels like he's all alone, never really is. And that good daddy, when he is watching, he sees the danger that the, even the child doesn't see. And he draws close to try to protect him and to care for him, even in the middle of those things. And yep, there's still going to be bullies. There, there's still going to be the slip off the jungle gym where you fall on the, uh, the, the super soft ground at the playground. But daddy's still there. He promises to be with you in the middle of your storms. Look at verse, verse 3. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, and your Savior. <laughs> those first two are pretty intimidating. I am the Lord your God. If you read the Old Testament, that phrase comes up as um, at the beginning. He says, I am the Lord your God. I have led you out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. There is none like me. I am the Lord your God. I am the Holy One of Israel. Man, God's holiness is something that we, we often overlook and we shouldn't. It's radical. It's extreme. God can have nothing to do with sin. He destroys it in the moment he comes into contact with it because he is so holy. But he does something amazing with that third title. I am the Lord your God. I am the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. What God does in that moment is reminds us of what he did for us. Not only do you belong to him. See, a Savior is someone who gives himself to you. So not only do you belong to him, by him being your Savior, he belongs to you. Think about that as you're walking through your next storm. He continues, I have given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place. Now, it's going to start a little bit of a stretch here as we walk through this, that uh, in, in all honesty, it, it, God loves us so extravagantly, and, 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 and he cares for us in such extravagant ways. It's almost embarrassing. It's almost embarrassing. I don't, I don't know about you, um, but but let's let's. That's uh, probably not you. But let me come up with an illustration for this on the spot here. So so a young man and a young lady are dating. Uh, it's still in that early phase, and yet she wants him to meet her parents and meet the family and all that stuff. So he goes to her home, and 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 suddenly this young dude is like he has put the show on. Uh, I mean, you're talking. He's redlining. He, he is doing everything. He's pulling out her chair for her. He's opening and closing the door for her. He's, he's, he's making sure he runs and fills her cup with water. He's talking to her mom that way. He's doing the same thing for mom and dad. I mean, he is going over and beyond almost to the place where that young lady is a little bit embarrassed by how extravagant this young man's care for him is. Now, first of all, men, that's the way young ladies should feel. You should be so extravagantly caring for them that they do feel a little bit of a blush because you love them and care for them that way. Ladies, that's the kind of dude you should have in your life. So just that, that, that part was definitely free. Um, 
Nobody pay me for that. So, <laughs> so when, when you think about the care that God has for us, it's so over the top and it's so extravagant. He's given Egypt as a ransom for you, Cush and Seba in your place. I mean, what God is saying to his people is, man, I was willing to move history for you. The, 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 the empires, the, the, the world dominating forces at the time, I switched those, uh, those entire nations I overthrew so that I could make you into my own nation. Why? Verse four, because you are precious in my sight. Precious. The idea with the word precious means you are valuable because you are in high demand. It's like today you go to the black market to buy, you probably shouldn't go in the black market to buy toilet paper. Never mind. Don't go in the black market to buy toilet paper. But toilet paper prices are, are way more extravagant than they have been before because it's precious. It's a commodity now that we need because of the demand that is so high and the supply is so low. The same thing here. God looks at you and says, you are in demand and I'm the one that needs you. I'm the one that demands you. And so I view you as being precious. You are precious in my sight and honored as God views you. He views you as weighty. Not, <laughs> not uh, you gained your 19 pounds during the COVID-19. Um, that, that's not, not, not that kind of weighty. But he views you as having worth having such value that it, you're worthy to be esteemed um, you're worthy to be enjoyed you are precious you are honored don't miss this and i love you those, those are the words of god i love you I mean, here let that wash over you a little bit that's the God of all creation, the God who, who, who knows you, who formed you. It's the God who knows every secret that you think you've kept so very well. And he says, I love you. It's not a sticker. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not a magnet. It's the voice of God talking to you, saying, I love you. I will give people in exchange for you and nations instead of your life. So, so God's talking again to Israel. He's saying, listen, I have literally exchanged thousands of people for you. Whoever's gotten in your, the way of you becoming a nation, I have removed them. And, and, and actually, there's a not so subtle future promise here, isn't there? I look forward to that promise of rescue, of substitution, where I'll exchange someone for you. Do we deserve it? No. But what matters most isn't what you deserve. It's whose you are. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Don't fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east. I will gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't hold them back. Bring my sons from far away, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name is created for my glory. I have formed them. Indeed, I have made them. God is saying, listen, I am going to restore. There is hope for the future because no current difficulty can possibly overthrow his plan. And, and even though it seems scattered, it seems confusing, and we have no idea how, he does. And that's what matters most. So, so, so fear that we may be experiencing, real fear is gone because we, we no longer fear punishment because we've experienced perfect love. Fear can be gone because not only do we experience perfect love, we experience the very presence of God. He is with us. So now because fear is gone, you and I can be successful. 
we can be successful. He talks in verse 7, everyone who bears my name is created for my glory. You got to understand, we have been created, formed, redeemed, protected, loved, and shown grace so that we will bring glory to God. God does something amazing. He ties his reputation to the people who he has dumped his grace out on. I mean, he has proven himself to be to be incredibly gracious. And so we understand that as we accept that, as we celebrate that, that as everybody else around us is, is just losing their minds, we become a light that shines within our community. We're supposed to be a living advertisement of how good God is to those who deserve the opposite. And so we should be living in light of the lack of fear that we have. We should be living in, with, a, with a confident standing, not a, not a confident standing that you're superhuman or indestructible, not, a, not, a, not an arrogant um, a claim that, oh, you know the real story. I mean, you, you know what the government's really up to. You know what the media's really up to. That's, that, that's just arrogance, and, and it has no place for this moment. You have been called to reflect the glory of God, the grace of God in you. Your confident standing is that though you were undeserving, God demonstrated the richness of His grace and His mercy in your life. That's what you need to be known for. If I had time to walk through the rest of Isaiah 43, and I'd encourage you to read that yourself, what you would find is that God says, you are to be my witnesses. You are to be the ones who, who speak on my behalf so, and demonstrate how good I've been to you in the middle of your unfaithfulness. Folks, we, we have every reason to live in spite of fear. We have every reason to live in confident expectation that God is faithful. We, of all people, should be living as a light within our community. A light within our community that's continuing to walk through one of the greatest shadows of history. May we reflect God's glory well. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful and thankful for your grace. God, I ask that in these moments, I would be a faithful witness. Lord, I ask for my brothers and sisters on the other side of this, this camera, Lord, that as they consider the difficulty that awaits them this week, that they would run into it face first, knowing full well that they're yours, that you have called them by name, that you promised to walk with them, and that the amount of love and mercy and grace you've dumped out on them is extravagant, to say the least. God, I pray that we would be effective lights within our community. For it's in Jesus' good name I ask. Amen.